Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indy. What's up, everybody? My name is Indy, and that gentleman right next to me in the in Doctor Strange's murder basement is Jay Powell. It's his murder the- attic. Murder, murder attic. Is <laughs> uh, Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting, and welcome to Indie Game Business. Today we've got special guest Andrew Papas with us, and we're going to talk about community building um, to help your game succeed before publishing, self-publishing, and then whatever other topics that end up happening you you, you guys know how it is it, it, it'll be a good show it'll be fun what's again our highly organized and well thought out podcast yeah highly organized well thought out podcast you oh, guys yeah. say it really fast like the ads on the radio it's a highly organized well thought out podcast so andrew welcome to to our our highly thought out well whatever podcast so <laughs> <laughs> it's friday you know it is friday the, um, we always start at the same place Tell us how you got into the industry and walk us through your career to this point. And obviously, then tell us what you actually do for a living, too. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, first off, thank you guys so much for having me. It's it's great to be on the show and just love what you guys are doing, uh, sharing all this awesome information with great people in the community. So what I do um, or where I started. So um, traditionally, you know, I'll, I'll give the quick abbreviated version of my history. Uh, went to school uh, to be a film student and while doing that and thinking, you know, as an uh, indie filmmaker, you really got to learn how to, you know, market yourself. So from there, I started a career in marketing and haven't really looked back since. But growing up, I've always been a big fan of games, grew up with the NES, uh, some Atari, like just almost every console. And so always been very passionate about games. And then it wasn't until probably about four or five years ago where I started realizing that, you know, I I have quite an extensive background in marketing, working with all these different agencies and everything like that, um, where I can totally apply that to, you know, uh, the game space. And in particular, one that really resonated with me and one that I wanted to be part of the community of more was the indie game space. So, that's essentially, you know, when uh, four years, five years ago, when Renjin Marketing was born, where um, just out there helping other people um, get further insight and help with, um, you know, their their marketing and what things to consider as an indie dev as you are out there, you know, promoting your game and making your game. So that's nutshell. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and that's nobody has a, a direct way into the industry. And that's why we always like asking. You know, it's, yeah. it's like so it's very indirect. <laughs> where did where did the tell us about the podcast too? I mean, so where did the podcast fall into all this? Is that more of a hobby thing? Is that something that you do with, with Ringin? Where do, where does that fit in and what what kind of stuff do you talk about there? Yeah, so uh indie game movement, uh kind of started after about a, a year or so uh, after RenGen. And I mean, to be quite honest, there's there, there's a few things about it. Well, first and foremost, um, as I mentioned about community, and that's something that's really important to me, I, I really wanted like to to show in a different way of how I could contribute in doing 
back to the community, the indie dev community. Um, and, and one thing that I thought was important with the podcast too was thinking of ways like, you know, there's a lot of information out there and, and you know, there's a lot of helpful information out there. But um, sometimes I think, you know, just having a different approach and allowing people to maybe see things differently or hear things differently from, you know, other indie devs and such can be that much more uh, beneficial, especially if you're get, uh, listening to people that are in that same moment that uh, others are, that listeners are. So um, part of the reason for putting together Indie Game Movement was simply to just really contribute uh, and provide uh, more value to the community. The other side of it too is, um, you know, just creating more awareness about, you know, myself and, uh, you know, Renjin marketing in, in terms of what we're doing. But that's really a very much side note about it. There are on occasions like quick mentions that I might make about, you know, things that uh, Rengen does, but it's really focused on the guests, what they're doing, what they're doing for the community and uh, just providing that helpful information and to all our listeners. So it's just out of uh, want uh, and to be a part of the community and help them out. But that's a huge part. It's one of those things that people don't, they don't think about when they're building their game. They think about, marketing their game and, and and they don't always think about okay so where does this victor where where's this personal brand come in you know where does the the bigger you know picture fit in and, and building that whole you know uh, online persona and it, we used to call it you know establishing yourself as an expert that's why you mm -hmm. go and you speak at lecture i mean at conferences and you know you write blog posts and do feature articles and things like that. It's all about building yourself as, you know, an expert in that space. And so, I mean, that's basically, you know, that's what you're doing with the podcast. I mean, quite frankly, as part of what we do with this podcast, you know, yeah, we're getting out information, you know, that's good for people to have, but at the same time, you know, you are building your personal brand and developers need to do, to do that as well. I mean, podcasts are fairly, you know, low friction ways of, of getting your name out there and, and promoting your message, you know, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I get it. We, yeah, we got someone saying hi to you in the chat there. Nalin Savara, great going, Jay. Greetings from India to you and Andrew Papas. Forgot about me, Jesus. <laughs> Forgot about me. I'm here too, right? Uh, I was one of the attendees at the Indian Game Developer Conference where Jay Powell spoke in 2019. Oh, well, awesome. it's good to see you here. Thanks. I love that. That was like my favorite trip last year. It was awesome, mainly because of the food. But the show was good too, but <laughs> a lot of because of the food. <laughs> so what are, you know, when you're talking with indie teams, I mean, it's something that we focus on more and more now is, is telling these teams, okay, you can't wait until you are at beta or you're looking for a publisher or, you know, right. whatever milestone close to completion you're looking at. I mean, we've seen, you know, and I've been doing this 20 some years. I still get people that call me and go, Oh, so we're launching our game next month and we have no marketing budget. You know, what, what can we do? And I'm like, find a God pray. Doesn't <laughs> matter which one, just pick one. Throw $2 million. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go buy some scratch offs. There we go. That's a good idea. But yeah. the the reality <laughs> is, in today's market, you have to be building that community and building that you know brand recognition from day one. 
you know, so what are, are, are some of the struggles that you see developers with, you know, what are some of the easy ways that, that they can go and, and start getting, you know, acclimated to this and start building that community? Yeah. And um, I mean, you make a lot of good points and from like the, the like, let's say the struggle standpoint, because at, a lot of times, like when you have developers and developers that I've spoken with, um, there's there's a lot of pain points that come up and some of which might seem straightforward and others might not be as apparent. For example, a straightforward one being like, well, I'm developing my game and I don't really have many things, assets, whatever, or trailer that, that I can share right now. So the question is always like, when should I start? And, and that's kind of a big one. Um, another one too is just the idea of marketing as a whole can be very overwhelming and and then it's not necessarily when to start but it's the question becomes where to start and that one is more of like kind of a psychological one to some extent extent because you have because then you start getting all this fear and uncertainty and then and then you start playing the what if game and then all these other factors start happening so those are probably the the problems and the struggles that i see a lot of just some of um that i see the indie devs uh, face, uh, you know, before talking to them. And then just kind of ways to counter that is, you know, obviously it's a, easy to say like, be creative or think outside of the box. Um, but like a more more pragmatic way of doing it is like, well, just the, the, the best uh, uh, advice that I typically give people is like, well, look at everything that you're doing um, as an asset. Uh, that you can promote or share. And and what do I what do I mean by that? Specifically like you could take if you have you're working on very basic concept art. Why don't you promote that? Share it with the community. There's different communities out there that really gravitate towards that stuff towards that particular style. Um I mean or if you already are working with your musician or even if it's a very rough development. I mean, come on, we see this on Twitter all the time where people are like I just made a title screen, right? <laughs> but depending on your level of engagement and everything else uh, that you're doing, um, you, you can get a lot of feedback from that and helpful for them, uh, from that standpoint, from a feedback one, but you're also getting exposure, you're getting noticed. And yes, you might not have much of a following or anything at that, that point, but the fact that you're simply taking action and going from there is really valuable in itself. So those are the problems that I see, uh, but also just little quick things, especially when really early and starting out that you can can start doing. And, and obviously, there's a whole lot more you can kind of grow from there. But the, the thing I tell people, too, is it's really about taking steps by steps, determining your audience. What are the next best steps that also work for you so you're not overburdening yourself and also focusing on your game? And then slowly set those processes in place and scale from there and then then you can get a system going and working towards all these other things up until prior to your, you know, you're talking with either partnerships, publishers, or even self-publishing. So, and you bring up the thing about people posting their, their title page to Twitter. And, and it's, yeah, it is something we see a lot of. And we do tell people, it's like the minute you have something to show, show it. Exactly. But how do you, how do you stand out from everybody else that's showing it because twitter is just i mean there's a there's a ton of voice and <laughs> little signal how do you know how do you know people how do you get people to look at your title screen yeah no great question because i mean 
well, and and the the reason why I always like lead with that with people is simply because it's it's just as important to get in the habit and um and of just doing those uh tasks because if if you don't start doing it now it's going to be that much harder to do it later um and then you fast forward you could come to the scenario you were talking about before where it's like hey i have a game it's going to launch and can you help me and usually the answer is probably no because there's just (laughs) so much to do at that point um but how do you get noticed like okay yeah I, i put my title screen out there and these and okay, I don't get anything out of it. So so what do you do to get noticed? Well, there's a lot of things. Now, I'm not going to lie. These types of things take work. And, and when I mean by work for, let's say, this example of you put your title screen on Twitter and you're looking for engagement, people to comment on it, um, what it really comes down to, if you're boiling it down to one thing, is how are you providing value? Because I think what a lot of people do, too, is when they're and I think uh, that's part of the problem, too, that some devs struggle with is when they're putting it out, they're like, well, it's about me. And I and they're very passive about it and they don't want to be more like direct or clear with what they want people to do. So um, overcoming that hurdle is is an important one, too. And, and the best way to overcome it is you're not just talking about you, but you're finding ways to provide value to the community because you're essentially going to be creating a community or your game itself should have some type of community around it. Um, So what things are you doing to provide value to them? So instead of simply just posting a picture, why don't you, uh, a good thing that people can do is go out, engage with the community, find out, you know, who you're, uh, who you're reaching out to. Um, and not just arbitrarily, uh, understanding and a key thing, and we probably hear it all the time, but it's so important, is understanding your audience. And if you know who your audience is, what type of messaging or what type of things you can say that will resonate with them, that they like, um, that's just going to make things more effective. So at the end of the day, if you really want that type of engagement or activity of people commenting or liking your title screen, you also have to show value, like how you can provide value for them. And another way to frame that too is when people go on Twitter, think of what is the reason they're going to Twitter for? Is it to be, you know, shouted out to, or is it going to be that they might want to like relax uh, or just look at their feed and comment on things? So if you're doing things that you know is going to resonate with the people and the reasons why they're going to that platform for this example, then you're more likely to get those engagements. But it's going to take time. You have to learn how to resonate with that audience and keep um, and keep that consistency going. And then over time, you're going to start seeing that type of activity where, hey, I'm getting like 20 whatever likes on my title screen. And then the next day I got more or my next post also got that type of attention. And those are probably the best ways to stand out. And there's a lot of different ways you can go about um, getting that type of engagement. I mean, there's polls, you could use other images, you could use emoji. Like there's so many different things that have been, you know, well-documented on the web too. Um, and a lot of other indie devs I know, um, uh, I, I can't remember uh, the guest's last name, uh, but I think it was uh, episode uh, 125 of the Indie Game Movement podcast. His name is Nicholas, uh, Blue Goo Games. Um, he made a whole video about 50 tips on what you can do for Twitter. So there's just a lot of different ways that at the core of it that you can find ways to engage with your audience and uh, really provide them value. Because if you're doing that, that's how you're going to stand out. So outside of Twitter, 
what have you seen, you know, what other platforms work for, for building this with developers? Yeah. So there's, there's definitely a bunch out there. So, um, the, you know, obviously there's Reddit, uh, and that one is, can be a little fickle. It can kind of be a double-edged sword. Yes. And <laughs> so, but with that in mind, I mean, the best things that I, and this is kind of an approach that I, I pretty much tell everybody with just about anything, because the, the channel in itself doesn't necessarily matter with, with some caveats, right? So the main one being, let's say Reddit. If we know that there's tons of subreddits, which is basically other variations of an audience that you can target. You just want to make sure that the audience is in line um, either uh, you know, with, with your game or is going to resonate with the style that you have or whatever, and even some affinities. So uh, you know, there's Reddit. And then there's a uh, imager, imager, whatever it's called. Um, imger, imger. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then that's that's another one too, uh, where you know. And then the the other thing that I, I tell people too is, outside of making sure that it's in the uh, the appropriate subreddit, it's the appropriate audience. You also want to see, like, look at what other people are posting, see what resonates really well, and then try things out. I wouldn't necessarily completely copy a style of post from someone else like you know word for word but like you can definitely emulate some of those things and and just put your own approach or twist on it and then work from there it's really the best thing that you can do and obviously there's a lot of other content that you can get other insight and information from but also like outside of seeing what other people are doing talk to other people if you're seeing that those individuals are doing really well but that um Try to find out some reasons why, but don't necessarily reach out to someone who's really big and well-established already too, because they're going to be approaching it from perspective of now and looking back to then. Find the other indie devs like yourself that are starting out, that are making some good traction, uh, that are kind of at the same point you are or just slightly above where you want to be, because those are probably going to be the most helpful type of people you can get information from. Reddit is... Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I wish. I mean, it's. I've tried to post there. I had an AMA there last year that actually hit like the top trending, and but it's like I post other stuff there, and it just like completely gets ignored. And so, I mean, Reddit's one of those that if somebody could come in and sit down with me for a couple of hours and say, "This is how you read it properly," I would be eternally grateful because I ain't figured it out yet. But it is one of those. It's like it, it depends on which exact subreddit you're in out of all of these other subreddits. And then what time of day you post it. Because it never fails. Yep. I always have some brilliant idea to post to Reddit like at 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, no one's <laughs> going to see this. It's you know, if, be... you, if you post on Reddit and everyone tells you you're wrong, then you've done a good job. Well, you know, <laughs> that, that happens in my daily life too. So, you know, it's, but it is, it's one of those that I feel like it is a great opportunity, you know, because we're trying to post stuff that, that people are going to learn from. And it's like <laughs> one of the ones, it was right after we first launched our, our publisher list and I posted it mm. to Reddit. Now I do. You know, because to get our publisher list, you had to put in your email address. I knew that was going to get like from Reddit. So mm, I said, yeah. hey, look, <laughs> you know, 
you're going to need your email address. I mean, because quite frankly, we set it up originally because we got so many requests for that thing in like a week on LinkedIn that I just could not oh, yeah. manage it yeah. anymore. And, and I said, you know, but at the same time, if you want to, you know, distribute the, the full list somewhere else, I don't care as long as you give, you know, credit for us putting it together. That's all I ask. And there was some person on there that's like, I mean, if we're talking about a list of, you know, at that time, it was only like five, it was only like 500 publishers broken only. down by, yeah, I mean, broken down by platform. And somebody's like, oh, this list is like completely worthless. It's like, I want to know the games that they've published and what their average reviews are. <laughs> it's like this list. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, you got you. That would be a list you would have to pay a lot. Yes, for. it's like that's literally what we get paid to do. You know, I'm giving you a list so you realize that there's more than 20 publishers out there that you can go to. And yeah, somebody's like all indignant because we don't have like deep dive Nielsen media level stats on <laughs> you know all these publishers. That, that was probably the one where I was like, you know what, I'm done, I'm finished. I, you know, I, I respond to people and, and you know chime in on other people's threads on occasion but it's like i obviously don't understand how to post a reddit and we're done with that that's it i'm done so yeah. um if you're out there and you're listening and you have you know you, you can teach me how to properly reddit uh yeah message me so there are you know there's so many different ways have you so one that was recommended to me that i had never thought of until you know this person recommended it was pinterest have you ever yeah you know, I, I i haven't but i have talked to some people uh like highly interested in uh well pinterest and uh instagram as well um and i mean well, I'll let you continue because I'm curious because I have some ideas on that. But myself, I haven't really looked into that even more just to see what the possibilities are. But I definitely could see some opportunities depending on you know what the game is and other avenues. Well, I mean, Instagram and and now TikTok, they're both mm -hmm. you know what I consider like the no brainers for indie devs. You know because the whole medium is, is about showing art or photos or something visual. And that's what plays to, you know, helping game devs. You know, you want somebody to see a screenshot or a GIF or something that catches their eye and they go, wait, 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 what's this? It, it's much easier to do that than if you have a thing on Twitter and, and all that sort of stuff. The, yeah. but I had never thought about, Pinterest until you know it was mentioned to me. And so I'm always now trying to figure out, you know, who's has anyone tried this? Has anyone actually had success doing a Pinterest board for your indie game? Interest in Pinterest. Yeah, no, yeah. I interest in Pinterest. No, I I think it poses a good question. And uh like I said, I, I don't know of anybody who has tried it or whatever, but uh on occasion those uh you know thoughts cross my mind and, and like well what are good ways to approach that and uh and the the first and foremost thing too especially because you know there could be like a lot of different platforms popping up there could be some down down the road that uh we haven't really considered much now but then later and i i I always go back to it, it probably comes down to defining or understanding who, who's the audience there, who, who are the people that 
of there. Because when when you say Pinterest, that like first thing in my mind is, well, I, I love it when I get these uh these texts from these craft ideas from my wife saying, hey, look, you can make this, honey. Uh, <laughs> and then I'm like, well, okay, so there's there's probably a lot of uh, you know women on there sharing uh, recipes or or anybody sharing recipes and and projects and things like that. So, uh, but at the same time, it's like even regardless of where the pop like a popular audience is within that platform it's also to consider of hey like you were mentioning like there could like if there's a lot of artists and stuff and, and because it's so art related there's segments there and there's probably and if you think about it they're probably not going to be as big as you know what you see on twitter or like other channels so at the very least that means that the saturation there is it's it's nowhere near as diluted uh so it could present a lot of other opportunities so the the only other the, th the only thing that i always say to when people are like coming to me about these like let's say if they come to me with a platform i never heard of i'll be like know your audience know if they're there then test it and that's that's the best thing that you can do read the um, room so yeah that that's my read the room <laughs> so as we're talking about this, I'm sitting here on my computer actually going to Pinterest and, you know, seeing what's in here as, you know, in terms of games. Oh, wait, now it's going to have to, now I have to tell it what I'm interested in. This is going to, yeah, all right, never mind. All right, I just lost interest. What you're Pinterested in. Yeah, I know. It's like I have a, I have my, my own old account. <laughs> all right, so, but one thing you said just right there, is our connotation and our immediate assumption when somebody goes, oh, did you see it on Pinterest, is either home design, cooking, or crafts. That's like yeah. immediately. So you would think a game like Cooking Mama or Stardew Valley, or any of these games that actually have, you know, themes in them built around that, that would be yeah. kind of like a no-brainer for Pinterest. Right, and and you're you're going in a really good direction here, because actually this morning I was talking to someone, he was asking me questions about educational video games, right? So if you think about like, and and I gave him some quick insight in terms of like, you know, in one direction you go for that particular topic was like. You know, reach out to mommy bloggers because they have a, this huge network. They're talking about like, oh, depending on what they talk about, like different things. They're very oriented, focus and stuff. So on that same note, though, like in uh, like uh, either an educational game or something along that line that can really cater to that particular crowd that you you listed, like cooking, um, home design, things along those lines. Those lines. So, uh, if you have a game that really can cater to the behavior or the interest of that particular audience, then, like you said, that that then becomes a no-brainer. So, um, it, it's it really comes down to knowing who's on there, what what other interests and things like that are, and then seeing could this could my game could my product fit in with that lifestyle. And I mean, this can go into a lot of other crazy stuff too. And it's, not, I mean, if you can do it, if you can make the time for it, great. But like understanding your, your audience in terms of persona and things like that, like in personas, it's not just demographic data, but it's also getting into like, what does this person's day-to-day -day life look like? What kind of magazines do they read? And a lot of people don't like to think that uh, granularly about their audience, but what that does is it can create um, either a main person or a couple people that consist of your core audience. So then your messaging and everything else is consistent. But if you're, like I said, you don't have to go crazy, but if you at least start thinking about and, and 
what that audience is, what their lifestyle is, then you can start really exploring and considering other platforms such as Pinterest. And as we just, you know, pretty much gave an example of. Okay. I am going to call somebody out on this and see if they're still in the chat because so one, as we were talking about before the launch or maybe, I don't know, after we, after we started the show, were we talking about getting the picture game, channel up on our discord server so indie game lover is the one that that did that taught, told me how to do it and i saw them pop in here earlier if you're still there uh give me a shout out because they have a pinterest page as, as i ah. went in and i got into pinterest and i searched for indie game the indie game lover pinterest page came up and so obviously you know we're not alone we're not completely off on this you know there are indie games out there i mean i see immediately you know whole pinterest boards about top 10 indie games of 2020 and character art a lot of art on here um minecraft houses so mm. yeah i mean this is there's a I, I didn't realize there was this much like indie game stuff on on pinterest that's i mean that that's something i would absolutely look into then because you're not going to have as big of that you know signal to noise ratio anymore because it's not something that's completely flooded with um with content yeah and and you when you said like all these boards that that are popping up that are showing like artwork like if you think about that i mean that's catering to one particular audience now maybe they might not necessarily be all you know gamers or into games but it can provide like an introduction to that and and basically anybody who's doing that style of artwork for their game whether it's concept art or anything else that that basically then gives you an, an in for a particular crowd even though it might not be catering to like you know the, the overall like cooking and and the other examples that we provided before too. So what it comes down to is how you approach it can give you an opportunity into like new platforms and then thus, you know, giving you other channels, other ways to, you know, slowly start building that community. All right. Is this working, Indy? Or am, yeah. I fla- am I flashing like it's flashing on my screen? It's flashing. Okay. I don't know how to fix that. Yeah. Um, all right, that's really annoying. I'm not going to do that. I was trying to share the screen and and say, okay, look, here's all this cool stuff that's on on Pinterest. But um, yeah, I don't I don't want to be triggering people's seizures and things like that. Um, so yeah, I mean that that's a that's a good aspect of it. But you brought up so so you brought up mommy bloggers, and mm-hmm. that's one of the things that we have often, you know, pointed to not just mommy bloggers but specialist bloggers niche communities that aren't necessarily in games because you know the world around us now most everybody is a gamer that you know 10 years ago 15 years ago you could say okay well gamers are 18 to 24 year old males they weren't (laughs) really back then but that was the perception but now they're really not i mean the majority of gamers are on mobile they're not even console and PC players. They're all mobile. And so you start looking at, you know, how big the market is out there 
and there's a ton of niche community. So, yeah. you know, using the mommy bloggers as an example, how do you go about, you know, finding these little niche communities and then more importantly, getting them interested in and in, in sucking them into your discord or wherever you're aggregating all these people? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think it, I, I feel like just everything comes back to this, but, um, you know, really thinking about, you know, who you're approaching, right. And, and what's your intent and, but also understanding like, how, how can this be, how, how can I provide value? So it's not just about you being like, Hey, here's my game. I think you and your audience would absolutely love it. But like going into more like where else can you provide value there? Um, but, uh, you know, at least showcasing or, or identifying that, Hey, um, like, I think this is something that your audience would like. And to do that too, you want to, um, figure out, uh, on their site and everything, like what type, what kind of conversations are they having? What kind of blog posts and things like that? So yeah, it's a little bit of work, but it, it I think doing that extra work goes a long way. And in terms of finding these people, kind of what we outlined already, uh, with like the, the Pinterest idea, uh, you can go through Pinterest and have a whole access of basically people who uh, post there that already are on these like mommy blogs or have their own blogs and things like that. There's that. Uh, it, and, and if you know that like, hey, I think our game can have a, an affinity audience with cooking, you can look up. I, I swear, if you look up anything recipe related online, the, the top results outside of maybe a couple of mainstream publications are all going to be from like, you know, various um, mommy bloggers or other or depending on what you're looking for type thing. So um, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. And I'm sure there's probably some Reddit posts out there, too, with a whole list of all these things, too. So there's, there's a lot of ways to do some research uh, to probably scale the process that other people have already done it as well. And then just, um, you know, ha have the right intent and, and make sure that uh, you're providing value uh, in that sense where, um, cause as you said, like a lot of people of these channels, as long as you have a decent understanding and know that they're the right people to approach, then just put, put your messaging in there. So it, it's really defining that value and you can get that. Cause it's, it's really a similar process to how you would reach out to an influencer or how you reach out to the, the press a little bit. You want to understand that who, who they're talking to, the audience that they're, they're talking to is going to be in line with what they talk about and who they're talking to. Okay. So very good point in the fact that it all draws back to understanding who to go for. There's a marketing term that you and I know, but, but that a lot of developers aren't going to know uh, your marketing persona. Talk about, you know, how you build that marketing persona, because that's exactly what you're talking about. You've got to figure out who you're actually selling to. And that's why you need a marketing persona. So talk, talk a bit about that. What is it and how do you build one? Yeah. So marketing persona, it, it kind of goes back to what we were, uh, you know, what I mentioned earlier is like building up that persona and, and, and basically you're, or, and it's also, it's not directly the same, but it's very similar to what sometimes is called an avatar. And what you're doing is you're trying to identify if I were to take this whole entire audience that I'm looking to target and group it into a single person. Who is that? And then, so you're, you're basically, you can give this 
person a name and then what they do for work and, and things along those lines. And, and what that does is gives you a key representative idea of uh, like kind of an embodiment of that audience and knowing this is who I'm talking to. If, if this is like my ideal gamer or whatever for this game, this is the person I would have a conversation with. And it, it then it, what it really does is put you in their mind, uh, in their mindset, what they're going to do. And what's really cool is when you go through all that work uh, to, to producing that and, and the work, meaning like, as I outlined a little bit before, like, what do they read? What are their activities? Who do they hang out with? How often do they hang out with them? Do they go to restaurants? What kind of restaurants? All that stuff. But when you boil it all down into the single person and really know them very well, then it, it's cool because what will happen is from your messaging that you create, because now you know who, exactly who you're talking to, you're potentially ha going to have the ability to say things to people and they're not even realizing that like, well, they'll, they could read something from you like, wow, they knew exactly what I meant or what I really liked. And they provided everything with it for me in this game or, or what they said that they were, um, what they were talking about really resonates with me because it totally aligns. So you're almost in a way when you go through that process, able to somewhat predict what people are going to say or what's going to resonate with them. And that's like the really key important thing of going through that process, creating that, um, you know, marketing persona essentially. So yeah, you might've seen me chuckling. I wasn't laughing at you, <laughs> but I had, a, <laughs> I had an idea that I just, you know, my, my typical brain. So, you know, like you said, when you're building a marketing persona, you're actually building people. This is, you know, yeah. Susie, if, if you're in the U.S. and you've seen like the Peyton Manning insurance commercials where he's built that whole thing in his garage and it's a whole city and he knows the life story of every little model in there. That's what you're doing, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and bear with me while I, you know, wipe my eye here. The so we could build. Let's say five or six marketing personas. This is Jill. This is Tim. You know, Tim sells insurance. Jill is a lawyer downtown who, you know, got barely through undergrad school and then got into a prestigious law school because her parents paid for her to get in. You know, you can really go into all this detail. So we need to make like five or six marketing personas and then do a D&D &D session with them. <laughs> That's um that's what I was laughing at because that came right in my head. It's like, you know, we're going to do something useful with these marketing personas that you know, it doesn't. Because the first time I saw one, I can't remember how many years ago it was when I was first introduced to the concept of a marketing persona, but I get it. And this has all these details about this person. And I'm oh, like, yeah, yeah. This is nuts. It's like, yeah. what? How? But then you realize that, you know, that actually has value and you're doing it for a reason. Right. And my eyes are, are talk amongst yourselves for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well to kind of play off of that too, I think it's, it's really a, another way you can probably go about doing it because everything that we outlined and stuff, it, it, it can be work intensive and, and can be difficult to do, especially, um, you know, if it's all new to you. Right. But that aside, another good way of doing that is if, uh, and I see some devs do this too, where, what type of questions are you asking when you have people play testing your game? Um, and then, and yeah, if, if you really can develop a, a good rapport with people um, in, in some type of relationship, then even 
asking other questions that you might not typically, you know, ask a complete stranger can kind of fill in the, the gaps a little bit of kind of building that persona. Because after you talk to so many people and asking questions like, hey, how, how did this make you feel or whatever? Oh, and by the way, what do you, what do, you do for work or whatever? And, and just be casual about it. You can kind of then start building a persona from those interactions too. So there are other ways that you can approach it and kind of create something. Because I know some agencies, you're right, they, they have this huge long list of just every single little detail. And, it, and it's almost like, this is a real person I'm talking to. <laughs> That's <laughs> your neighbor. Kind of <laughs> and, and Yeah. And then watch you, you, you create one of those and some guy comes out and he's like, you're you're totally like where'd you get my info it's totally, like, totally raw and it's like no that's just our persona we, we did but but still the, the reality of it is it um you know a lot of us aren't going to be getting to that point if you can great but if not there's other ways to approach it it's a right, it so, is a fun exercise though if, yeah if you come down to it and you're like you you really get in a role play mind and it's like okay why is this person going to take time out of her day when she's got, you know, her new law firm she's starting and she's trying to grow a family? Right. And why is she going to play our game? If you role play those out, you can get some very, very good um, insight. Yeah, I got something. Yeah. Uh, um, no, it's just you're, you're driving me to tears today. Um, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> you can get some really good insights and it opens up your i mean that's where you come with things like like pictures and peter you know from from excess up in canada i think he's peter you're in canada i'm pretty sure you're in canada the you know he just posted that they have a pinterest page and they get like over two thousand views a month on it and it's just game art you go to their page and it's linked there in the chat on the on the linkedin side anyway yeah and, and it's you know models and things like that from from art yeah and, the, and even from that alone, like, let's say you establish a relationship with someone like him or uh, someone else or a partnership, whatever. And it's like, then now that's another network. You can like showcase that. It's like, hey, we're working with so-and-so and they already have a huge following there. And and, and it's just another way to, to just help out the rest of the community. And it's also going to benefit you in the long run. So there's, there's like so many different ways you can go about it. And it still comes down to like really understanding, you know, what the audience is, what the persona is and, and things along that. And, and different ways that the community can interact. Cause if you think about it, this community as a whole, indie games or gaming is in general is all very media rich. So there's oh, just so many different communities that you can think outside of the box with and, and, you know, benefit each other and yourself. So there's a we have a comment in here from Zero Vapor on Twitch says I'm curious how company image deals with building pre-release communities. Andrew, yeah, no, I'm just trying to um, <laughs> how, no, like how company image deals. Um, I guess that's the part I'm not following. But in terms of like, like your, the per the perception of your company, how you know? Oh, like, I got you. Like that just, that sort of image, not like an art image. Oh, right, right. Okay. Uh, maybe I was just taking it too literally there, but um, like your own, uh, like your own company image. Right. Yeah. And, and how do you do, do that? I mean, I, I think that just comes down to a, a little bit as well as like, um, you know, how, how you represent yourself uh, and what are your values and, and, and things like that. So uh, like building those communities too. Uh, I mean, it, that's that's really what it does. I, I think uh, just recently we uh, uh, talked to uh, Victoria Tron a little bit about that. 
Um, She's awesome, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And and just, you know, knowing how you want to represent yourself as a company, as an entity. And, and it's a really good thing to think about because a lot of times, and that's another thing that I've noticed uh, in some situations with devs is they go out there and they're thinking, um, hey, I'm just really focused on my game. And it's like, well, what do you want to do outside of your game? Because when you're forming these partnerships and everything else, people look at... Uh, at you in terms of well what's your five-year plan are you this is your first game great what else are you going to be making and if people don't really think about that path um it can make it a little bit more challenging for these people that you're looking to work with or or receive help from to to really kind of like buy into everything that you're doing you could still have a great game but they, they also want to know that there's something you know potentially sustainable because one that they're looking for long-term relationships too um, but also for you as an entity, do you just want to make one game or do you want to make more? But like going, uh, going back, you know, just think, and, and the reason why I talked about that on a, a little side tangent there is because it still goes back to what are your core values? What are, how do you want to be represented? And that carries over to your community too. So establishing those things first and knowing how you really want to be represented is going to then carry over. And if you, uh, to your community and your community is going to respect that because they also want like clarity too, uh, and an understanding of, okay, I'm coming here for that. And that's, and the reason why Victoria Tron is, is so good to, um, hear what she has shared with everybody about that. And even, uh, Tanya X short is because of that whole process that they went through with Kit Fox and, and getting those and really thinking hard about that. Because if you talk to any other community members, they're, they're going to say how much they absolutely love them. And it's because part of the main reason why they do is because of how they really outlined those values and made sure that they carried them through, um, in creating the, such an awesome community. Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list. And you can get it for free. Check it out. And yeah, all right, so this is going to lead into to dangerous territory, but especially now. So, as a, you know, let, I want to talk about a lot here. You know, COVID <laughs> and you know the the assaults on Twitter, and there was something else that's going on that I've just completely lost my train of thought on. Anyway. So Mixer. something that I hear from, you know, friends of mine who have real world companies, you know, is they, they are literally in this conundrum right now of, of face masks in, you know, in their store or in their business or whatever, because it's like, you know, I had one of them tell me the other day, it's like, if I mandate face masks, I'm going to get, you know, destroyed on social media. If I don't, I'm also going to get destroyed on social media. The same is true for, you know, the Black Lives Matter. You know, there are companies that came out really quick in support, issued a statement, 
there are some and some groups that didn't issue a statement and got, you know, vilified for not doing it. And then there's the ones, you know, like Activision that released a statement, even though immediately their whole feed was full of, you know, screenshots of the highly racist and offensive, you know, usernames that people in Call of Duty have been using for years and Activision's never done shit to stop it. <laughs> When you're cultivating that image and, you know, now we're seeing, you know, everything from, from Twitch to developers to publishers dealing with a lot of these issues that have gone on for years, but are just now, you know, coming out and coming to the surface again, from a marketing standpoint, how do you deal with that? Yeah, you, you asked a loaded question, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I did. It's, it's cool. I didn't give you any prep on it either. That was a lot. No, no. Yeah. No, <laughs> no it's, it's really important. Um, and it's a really important to think, a question to ask and to consider. And the, the way I would kind of go about it, and, you know, I've, I've even, uh, or I forget which episode, but um, it was the one with Victoria Tron. Uh, and uh, my uh, producer, Mustafa Price, where we were talking about like inclusion and, in, in, you know, Black Lives Matter was definitely part of that conversation. And I mean, I think what it comes down to uh, from a marketing perspective is being um, not just empathetic, but listening and, and learning. Because part of what we talked about was the type of pretty much the same thing that you just asked. How do you come forward and, and approach this? Because what I identified it as, you have people that are looking at it one way where unfortunately they might be looking at it strictly from an opportunity perspective. Um, so more, more self-serving. Um, and I, I would see uh, not too many people are doing that, but they can, but they're, in, they're trying to uh, make their intent look like it's genuine but because if it's just simply out of the blue and they haven't done anything up until that moment it's going to come out as self-serving so it's not necessarily saying that these people are specifically doing this um, from an opportunity perspective but it can be viewed that way so the best way to i would say approach it for anybody who does want to get involved uh especially from marketing standpoint is first understand the the, the issues that people are facing so with Black Lives Matter, like do your research, find out like why there's been so much oppression over the years or what they've really been going through. Um, because once you have a better understanding, then you're going to have a better position on where you feel about that and how it represents, you know, your values as a whole. Because at the end of the day, everything that's being talked about is that like it, we're, we're all human and we all want to be treated the same and everything. But uh, before you can kind of, uh, but because especially now with this particular movement, if you're not a part of it or uh, in terms of if you haven't experienced anything that a lot of these other people have, then you don't necessarily have a right off the bat to to make an approach, to make it a statement. So then the next thing to do is after you learn more about it or while you're learning more and you really want to do something, then amplify those voices because then it's going to help you learn more about what's going on and you're going to help other people learn more about it too. Um, one example that I did provide too that I thought was great and someone who uh, I actively listened to, um, probably one of the best examples I've seen out there, um, it's not uh, game oriented, but uh, Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income podcast. And what he and his team did, they issued a statement said, hey, look, like they canceled one of their podcasts and said, we're not going to 
do anything right now. We're we're gonna put the forefront on amplifying, you know, Black Lives Matter's voices. And then when they came back, they sent out another email saying to people, hey, we met with the whole entire team because this is something we care about and, and everything else. And we went through this process. They outlined what the process was and then that they're going to even start making uh, changes and everything else. So they pretty much everything that they said, they were following through. Then they feature a podcast that were like, we really want to learn more and, and get it from, you know, this communities uh, directly. So the whole episode was dedicated to uh you know, black entrepreneurs giving their statements and uh, ideas on things. So the point being here in terms of from a marketing perspective and how you would able to really uh, apply that is do like understand, learn what's going on, amplify it, and then actually take actions that are going to show that intent and, and that you really care and, and make it a change for the long run, because it still goes back to your core values of how you are as, as a company and stuff and how, how that reflects the rest of your uh, community, how, how that can really be uh, inclusive uh, for everybody and align with that and also setting those boundaries too. So that way, um, if there's any toxic, toxic, yeah, I can't talk anybody who's toxic <laughs> in their behavior, um, then you can set those boundaries and expectations. So you eliminate that and then really garner and, and take that right approach to it. And it is important. I think that's like the one thing that we can, that we take away from any of this stuff as much as, you know, and, and whether it's the black lives matter or, you know, women being assaulted at conferences and, and, mm the COVID crisis or whatever, you can't ignore it. You know, right. that's, that's what, you know, will get you, you know, in trouble more than anything else, because that's that some of the most vocal, you know, people that I've seen are not necessarily criticizing a, a specific way that people are doing it. But a lot of times it's just like, I cannot believe that you have not said anything about this. And it's like, you know, obviously the bigger your organization, the more influential your organization, right? the more that's going to happen. But it's, it's something that you got to be prepared to prepare to address. And another thing is there's a lot of companies in the industry right now that are finding out that, you know, that they've got people that they're either working with or that work with them that, you know, are part of these problems. And, and it is, I, I you know, I don't throw it out there because it's like an easy answer. You know, it's not, you know, yeah, yeah. but it, it's one of those things that you you can't just kind of sit back in the corner and, and say, oh, I'm not, I'm not getting involved with this. You know, who was it? Somebody made a comp, some big store or, or brand or something said they weren't going to get involved with the face mask thing because they didn't want to get drawn into a political debate. And that just like, <laughs> was the way wrong answer. <laughs> like, this is yeah. a, kind of like a health thing. It's not necessary. I mean, but it is a political thing. And, you know, we're fortunate in the fact that we work in an industry that's global. It's like, yeah. I literally have international phone calls and video calls every single day. And, you know, it's like all week I've been talking to teams in, in Latin America from, cause I'm, do I'm doing the big conference down there. And it, it's one of those things that, you know, this isn't, they, they look at us and they're like, so, so what's the, the, the concern about COVID? And I was like, the, the problem is if you 
whether or not you wear a mask seems to come down to which political party you support, not <laughs> science or health or anything. It's like, well, I'm not going to wear one because the president says I don't need one or I am going to wear one because I can't stand the president. And it's like, that's none of that is relevant. <laughs> that's not why you need to be doing it. But it's, it's something that, you know, I always get the funniest looks from a lot of these countries, you know, overseas. They're like, seriously? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. W welcome to America. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it, you got to be ready to to make a statement on it. But at the same time, and I want to emphasize this, mm. you're not always going to make the right decision on how to handle it. You know, right. and, and but communication, like you said, communication, like that's the that's the best you can do. You know, because one, you're not always going to say the right thing. And two, most of the time, there's not necessarily a clear cut answer. I mean, this is yeah. the, age of the internet. Everybody's going to have an argument one way or another. I can, you know, tell you the sky's blue and somebody on Twitter or Facebook will argue that with me. You know, it, it's, I mean, we have flat earthers for God's sakes. So, uh, <laughs> I, yeah. And, and if I were to add to that too, I think the main thing is it, it's important to, come out and say something, but also don't be reactive with your reaction because everything that's going on takes a lot of processing, regardless of if you're an entity, a company or an individual. Um, everybody has a different level of how they're going to process that. And when they get to a point too, um, that's why it's important to give yourself time, uh, whoever you may be, before you come out, because if you're being reactive, I mean, we, we've seen some of the stories, I'm sure, where, you know, people lost their jobs over stuff. And if they really thought about, like, what does this mean and stuff um, or, or how should I, uh, you know, come forward with something in terms of where it aligns with my values and everything, that's that's going to be probably the, the most appropriate route for everyone. I, I was reading a comment. I couldn't figure out where it came from. Oh, that's right. oh, it's Peter. Peter's not in Canada. My bad. <laughs> you're nice, and that's why I assumed you're Canadian, Peter. Um, <laughs> it's just it's just a reflex for me. The it, it, it is one of those things that no one's gonna. You're, you're never gonna be able to say the right thing. You you do have to to communicate. You have to. You have to listen, like you said, yeah. you know, because it's not, you're not in that same place. You don't live in the same, you know, world and circumstances that a lot of other people do. And so you can't just like take your reality and drop it into somebody else's and say, right. oh, well, I don't know why you did this. And it's like, well, it's not your world. You didn't, this is not. It's, a, it it's kind of one of those things, like no matter what you post online, you're going to be wrong to somebody. Oh, you God, yeah. I mean? yeah. Yeah, exactly. Probably the majority of people, but that's beside the point. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I'm still waiting for all the, you know, feedback on, on the show and how I'm wrong about all the, all the advice I give. Oh, oh, all wait, you, you got to do is just, just post it on Reddit. And, and, and I did. Know, I had a guy, this is bringing it full circle. I had a guy on Reddit told me, you know, on if I was talking about advice for finding a publisher or something, you know, along the lines of what I do every single day and what I've done for every single day for 20 some years. And he's like, well, I, I think you're absolutely wrong and I'm just not going to listen to you. And I'm like, okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks for letting me know. These aren't laws that I throw out. You don't have to listen to me. 
I just, you know, I have their done perspective this for, from experience. Yes, yeah. I've done this for a while. I kind of know what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, so you know, going back to Reddit and how I don't, you know, I don't half understand that platform. Yep, did had a guy on Reddit tell me I was completely wrong. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we're, we're up against. You know, we've already gone an hour, but it doesn't seem like we've gone an hour here. No, this is just like. If if I'm you fine. out there, we usually you know throw this out sooner, but I'm just now remembering. Uh, if you've got questions on on how you build this community, why it's important, and this is something we've talked about before, so you should grasp it from our conversations. But if you've got questions about it, you know, toss it in chat on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitch. We'll see it, uh, and and you know either me dan or, or andrew will answer it live for you in front of everybody um what i mean what else it, it's an ongoing thing you have to be you know building your brand as well as you know marketing the game that you're talking about you know where else does does this all factor in i mean so are there any other good tips somebody just zero vapor just said what good tools do you use for community management? Yeah. Um, so for, for tools that I know of off the top of my head, um, Hootsuite, uh, there's Sprout Social, uh, I think Sprout. Um, and uh, one that I uh, started using, it's actually specifically for, uh, I believe it's specifically for Twitter is Audience uh, with an S at the end, not a C. Um, and so those are just some tools that you can use. Uh, there's actually tons of different tools out there. Those are the ones that I'm most familiar with, but uh, there are a bunch. But the, the thing that I'll also say about tools is, especially if you're working with a team, um, you, you wanna make sure that if you're looking at tools and something, it's someone, it's something that people will naturally, or, or just they will use because tools, I think, sometimes have that problem where if it really disrupts your current workflow or process or things like that, it might not be as effective as it can be or you would like it to be. So sometimes like tools can be super awesome or whatever, but if it's going to be really that disruptive and if you're not going to be using it, then it just becomes a, a waste of time and, and resources. Here we, Along we gotta, those lines. Oh, I was going to say we got a question. A year, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. But once a year, we as a company and me as an individual, I go through basically my credit card and bank statement to see because I know there's that there's an online tool that you can use that tells you what you have on subscription. And I never remember to use it. But it's important to go through the tools that you have signed up for and that you may be paying for and see if you're actually using them or if they can be merged into something that's new since you started using that one. So yeah, all right, anyway, real question. Okay, the question here comes from Zinohito. Is this also important when you're aiming to work with a publisher? Because the main, the reason that Zinohito wants to work with a publisher is because he doesn't. they don't have time to work on community management and only time to work on the game. Yes inherently emphatically yes yep you know 10 to 5 10 years ago i would have said not so much but you know now one of the first questions that a publisher is going to ask when you send them your game is 
How big is your Discord server? How many Twitter followers do you have? How many wish lists do you have on Steam? Yep. Whether you're going to work with a publisher or not, you need to start building that community early on. Yeah, and, and I'll add to that too, because part, if you think about it, when you're pitching your game or you're, you're talking to you know prospective publishers, like put yourself in their seat too. What are they looking at when they're looking at your game? Um, and one of the main things and, and the reasons why they're asking the questions that Jay said that they would be asking for is like kind of a risk assessment. Like, and if you think about it, that, that the whole idea of things have been going on forever, especially if you look at like the film industry, why do you think so many uh, movies are made off of well-established and popular books? Because they know they have a key defined audience that could sell to immediately. So it's, um, and that's just one of many reasons, but uh, that, that's why they ask that. Because if they know they have a community that this game is already made for, that just helps guarantee, you know, the set success of, you know, the game. And that's ultimately what everybody wants. Uh, so it, that's one, if not a, a lot more other reasons, but I would say a, a, probably a big component is just, you know, basic risk assessment. Is, is this going to help me get my return? And, and obviously it's going to help you with your return as well. Uh, and the, but that's not to say that a publisher is not going to work with you if you just have a game and don't have a community already. Correct. But having a community that is already built and that shows interest in the game just helps to seal the deal to show the publisher that, oh, hey, you know, there's already people that are interested in this. They're doing some community, you know, community um, interactions. They're getting a lot of interest in the game already. And. And Jake, could that also, because this is also something that I, that I have always uh, found, but I mean, could that also provide the developer a little bit more leverage too when negotiating contracts with publishers? If they have something like that compared to something where they're asking for a lot more? I wouldn't say it's going to give you negotiating leverage, but it's absolutely going to put you ahead of the person that, you know, the, the other games that they're looking at that don't have a community around it because I mean, that's what it was like, like Indy said, what you're trying to do is you want to make that person's job easier. And so if that yep. person's job is finding games and then pitching them to the green light committee, the more info and the more ammo you can give them, the better chances are they can do a good job pitching you to the green light committee. So it's not, uh, you know, un unless you're running your own user acquisition empire on a mobile game i'm not going to say it's going to give you that much of a negotiating leverage but it is absolutely going to give you you know a higher probability of getting to the point where you can use negotiating leverage because if, if a publisher is looking at two games that, that are fairly similar in in genre scope and and features and you know all of that sort of stuff and they, they're only going to be able to publish one of them and one of them already has like a whole bunch of wish lists and a Discord community and an active Twitter following, and the other one doesn't, the first one's going to get it. Right. And you got to think like the uh, people that work for publishers, they probably get 30 emails a day saying, hey, would you like to publish my game? Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. So first off, you have to have a game that just looks amazing because that's the first thing they're going to see. Mm -hmm. And then the, they'll just go down the line of their checklist. I mean, you, you kind of got to look at it from their perspective. You know, what kind of checklist do you think they'd have? Uh, the game looks amazing. How far along is it? You know, if it's already on Steam, or be, is there wish lists? Um, when's it going to be released? What kind of community? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were still going there. <laughs> 
No, I'm done. <laughs> I asked what kind of community, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's everyone. There's different things. So I mean, yeah, it's 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 all about making their their life easier, and, and and it's one of those things that we didn't. It's not something that we started tracking until, you know, very recently. You know, I would say the next like last like six months to a year. You know, when when we sat down and we built that infographic of what you need to put into a uh, a pitch document or a pitch deck. You know, mm community wasn't in there until recently and because it's something that we're seeing a whole lot of it's not I mean, like the de facto reason is you want to go well people are lazy you know but it's not that they're lazy it's just that you know the more that you can do as a developer to help the publisher do their job the right. better off that relationship is going to be all the way around you, you can't go into a healthy relationship with not only a publisher, but any partner and say, well, my job is to make the game and your job is to market it. That it, it, It's a two-way street. Your job is to make the game and listen to what they're hearing from, you know, their community and the market in general. Their job is to publish and market your game while listening to what you feel is important and the key aspects of your game. So it's, it's a two-way street. Yeah. all the way. And, and if you can go in and show the publisher that you've been proactive from day one on, on building that community and, and trying to, you know, get the hype going, it's, it's, it's simply going to make everything a whole lot easier. Absolutely. Oh, oh well, we got to post a, someone on LinkedIn. By those standards, I have no idea how so many of these indie games get published. It seems like they start with a gut feeling and then justify it with everything you outlined. And then Div ch chimes in with a, hi, Kappa. You know, <laughs> up, as, as much analytics as we drop in this industry, there is still a lot of, of gut that goes into it. I mean, it's you, you've got companies who want to take the gut aspect of it completely out. And it's it's strictly an analytical thing. And yes, it, it it can work. There's plenty of good companies that do it. That that's all they focus on. But there's also a lot to be said. And indie publishers do this far more than big publishers do. Uh, it's like, man, I really like that that game. I don't know exactly what it is about it right yet, but I really like it. I really like the look and the feel, or I really like you know this part of the story, or just you know the music and the atmosphere. Mm. there is still a lot of gut that goes into this, you know, but it's, it, it all comes down to, and it's part of the reason why there's so many publishers. Everybody wants to think that they can do a great job publishing games. And the barrier of entry to be a publisher is much lower than it's ever been. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes you're going to find those teams, those publishers that just go completely on gut and they're like, I think this is going to be good. And sometimes you get them that run on on data and analytics, but you know I can't honestly say one one is that much better than the other, unless your gut sucks. If your gut sucks, <laughs> then you know. <laughs> well, one of the things that I do on a daily basis is just look through like uh, coming soon games on Steam, you know, and and I'll be like, oh, that game looks good. Oh, this is already picked up by Raf Yuri, you know. I'll be like, oh, it's a, it's a year a year out. No, this game looks really good. And then you look and see, oh, it's published by this or it's got picked up by that. Uh, what does Dib say? I need to find one of those these guts, probably crazy <laughs> as hell publishers to help me. Maybe. That's maybe why do. we constantly say 
send your title to as many applicable publishers as possible because you don't know. We've had clients that were turned down by 95, 96, 97% of the publishers that we sent it to. And then one publisher was like, oh, wow, this looks pretty cool. And they end up publishing it. I mean, you can't, this is exactly why it's, it's, it's still very much a numbers game. And a lot of the smaller publishers, they will want to go by, you know, the types of games that the CEO likes. You know what I mean? So you might go to some indie publisher and they publish a a multiple of different kinds of games, but the CEO maybe really, really, really loves awesome turn-based games. And that's what he personally wants to publish. And so you, you know, you could go to some and and have a game and they're like, eh, then go to another one. And you think it might be the same or different, but you don't know, but not realizing the CEO loves that genre of game. You just never know. But, I'm not talking about personal experience either. So. But, well, I will. I'll talk about <laughs> no, I totally, I totally was. I worked with a publisher that you know they they preached analytics, and it's like, well, you know, the games that we are going to publish have to fit these metrics, and and they have to score because we had a whole scoring system, you know, for games, and they have to. We're we're doing this completely by analytics, and at least once we had a game that did well on the analytics or did poorly on the analytics and the CEO was like, I want that oh, game. We're, we're still going to publish that. Like, <laughs> they would go around and they're like, everybody's vote counts. Well, yeah, but yours seems to count a whole hell of a lot more than the rest of ours. Yeah. Um, you know, so- says the crazy thing is among indie publishers, there are CEOs that are not only business people, but also genuine gamers with love for a certain genre or style of game. Hmm. I would, I would venture to gather that, Many, many, many indie publishers started because the CEOs or the founders loved video games, or maybe they were journalists, or maybe they were doing something else, or maybe they were PR people, and they genuinely love video games. So I, the scary thing is when you start getting into a lot of the mid-level and especially the bigger publishers, it would shock you to see how many of the decision makers of those companies don't play don't games. play games yeah but when you're dealing with the indie pubs yeah generally they all do and they and, and i talked to so many publishers and i'm like you know so what kind of games are you looking for what are you looking for for next year you know genres and they give me like the most honest but like the absolute worst answer and it's like well we like to publish the games we like to play okay what is that? You know, but it really is, you know, the sentiment from a lot of publishers and the way that you figure that out is you just like, look at what they publish. You know, if somebody publishes a whole lot of strategy games, chances are they love strategy games. If they, you know, publish a lot of shooters, they probably love shooters. You know, it's It's something that makes money. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I like playing games that generate profit. That's Even if what, they love the type yeah. of game, they're not going to publish something that they don't think is. I mean, why would they? Why would they invest in something that they don't think is going to make money? You know what I mean? But yeah. that's where the gut comes in. Yeah, I mean, seriously, that that is there. There's multiple ways to pick titles to publish. One of them is just basically purely analytics. Game comes in. It's a strategy slash RPG hybrid on PC. And then you do some sort of fuzzy math where you 
factor in budget to quality and you pull up the Nielsen MPD steam spot data, you see how much, how many units comparable titles sold. You make a projection. Uh, the other. Then yeah. this looks fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, then you've got the ones that are like, I'm going to go, you know, with my gut and I want to make sure it's a good game, but you know, I'm, I'm mainly going to use my gut on this. And then you have stories like this is, I'm going to show my age here. The original deer hunter game that came out in the nineties Nobody in the industry in the 90s was thinking, you know, okay, let's make a game where you hunt deer and it'll sell millions of copies. Nobody thought that. But, you know, Stu and um, uh, Jim, I can't remember Jim's last name. Uh, they looked at it from a completely different angle. They went to Walmart and said, what kind of games do your customers what do you think they would like? And they were like, they like a deer hunting. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's what they made. And it made a shit ton of money. And now we have, obviously, you know, 20 years later, we have all kinds of, of wildlife hunting simulations out there. But, you know, there's multiple ways that these things get made. And it just comes down to the publisher. And the more you understand how that publisher makes their decision, the easier your job gets. Uh, but yeah, there, what, there what's is. crazy to me is the, the simulation genre. I mean, there was always like flight simulators and stuff like that, but then someone's just like, let's do a simulator of, you know, truck driving or where you're farming. Right. And now there's freaking simulators for everything. Motorcycle mechanic, car mechanic. Um, yeah. there's simulations for everything that you, everything. I mean, I was just watching someone there's a lumber lumberjack simulator. Oh, yesterday yeah. for now so, it's just like everywhere and you would think like why would somebody want to freaking simulate a job that they hate going to every day <laughs> because but, it, uh, bouncer it's, simulator it's not typically it's not typically like truck drivers who buy truck driver simulator or farmers who buy farmer simulator because i've got friends you know i grew up in in the rural south mm. all my friends grew up on farms and i'm like you know there's like an esports league around farm simulator and they're looking at me like what why in the hell would somebody but there is so one simulations never really went away go back 30 years microsoft flight simulator <laughs> i had it on an apple II. oh yeah you know, but i mean it was it was really only flight simulators you know but, what i mean all right, there so was there was a reason behind that though Back then, there was only so much shelf space. So if something wasn't going to sell, uh, you know, a million, five, 10 million units, the store wasn't going to stock it. And if the store's not going to stock it, you have no way of getting it to the customer other than a mail order campaign. And so a lot of these genres died out. Hardcore, you know, the, the super realistic simulators, space combat sims went away completely after Freelancer for like 10 years. And no one wanted to touch it because the, the, the retailers couldn't sell it. So what was the point? Then digital distribution came around. And now all of a sudden we can publish anything. And so then Kickstarter goes and they're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Now we can get people to pay us to publish anything. And so because you had new marketing and, and distribution avenues, 
it literally rekindled a whole lot of these, you know, genres again. And so, you know, you look at uh, like Aerosoft over in Germany, it's a publisher that does like literally nothing but bus driver simulators, these very, very niche, very hardcore simulators, but they make a lot of money because the niches typically, yeah, SnowRunner is another one. I haven't seen Bouncer Simulator. I'm honestly God surprised that hasn't existed yet, but we had a whole, in, in the casual boom in the 2000s, all of a sudden Tycoon Games came back. And you could find a tycoon game that related to any random business idea possible because all of a sudden you didn't need to worry about getting that tycoon game in, you know, in GameStop anymore. As long as it was on Big Fish or Real or one of these digital distribution sites, you could get good sales from it. And, and it completely blew back up again because the desire and, and the, you know, the love of these genres never went away but the market capability and the distribution went away. And so when that came back, all of these genres came back too. Oh, RTS uh, is a good one. Yeah. Um, that one. Yeah. That one is still mostly like the princess bride. It's not fully dead. It's mostly dead, but simply by the fact that you're seeing, you know, Microsoft reinvest in Age of Empires and Petroglyph and EA putting back out Command and Conquer and Blizzard doing whatever it is they did to Warcraft 3. Obviously, that genre has interest. And the thing is, when you have here's here's my indie game, you know, I always tell everybody an idea is worth nothing, it's the execution. So here's my idea that's worth nothing. If companies like Activision and EA and Microsoft are reinvesting their money in something like 20-year-old RTSs, you as an indie developer should know there's a market for RTS games. So go make us some good RTS games. Nothing? Yeah. Was that just... Yeah. Dead, dead um, I was noticing. No, no. I was. I was. I was looking at something. I was noticing that Zero Vapors and Divs. If you look at their, uh, do you guys know each other? Oh my god! They the, both have like pencil art logos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Zinohito said uh, niches can niches can be crazy. I had a friend that made a one button super hard rhythm game. I was having doubts as it was very punishing. Turns out South Korea is crazy about this type of game. Yeah, I mean. Oh, here we go. Uh, Nightwolf. Yeah, I was going to talk about this. The fly simulator. There have been a flood of animal simulators as well. Now, from bird to bee to fish and so on. Right. Yeah. I saw the fly. I haven't seen any of the other ones. Oh, Divs is Divs is from uh, One Punch Man original webcomic. I love One Punch Man. <laughs> now I'm going to like look up these random simulators. Um, <laughs> All right, so yeah, it's it's like 1.30. We're way over schedule here. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm ready for breakfast. I've had my two cups of coffee. Well, my, I'm ready for lunch. Did my hand so, exercises. Uh Andrew, thank you so much, man, for coming Yeah, on man, thank fun. you. Uh, yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me. It's it's 
been an honor and great. So let me let me post these banners here really quick. So you can check out Andrew on Twitter at twitter.com underscore slash underscore Andrew Papas and also follow the IGM podcast, twitter.com slash IGM podcast. Uh, you can hit him up at wrenchandmarketing.com and check out his podcast at indiegamemovement.com. You can also check out our podcast. Yeah. He's got a way better podcast Twitter handle than we do. Oh. Business Indy? (laughs) It was available. I took it. (laughs) Yeah. Ours is Business Indy because Indy Game Business was like one or two characters too long. Well, we could have done IGB podcast, but then we'd be copying Andrew. Do what you need to do. Isn't that like the most sincere form of flattery? Yeah. I'm doing good to remember the, the handles that we already have. Right. Um, let's see. We got a couple other comments here on a read. Uh, bam, bam, bam. How does oversaturation? Well, okay. We got a question right here. How does oversaturation play into these infinite genre possibilities? Damn you, McJohn. We were all. Damn you, out. McJohn. <laughs> damn it. Oversaturation absolutely 100% can happen, has happened, will happen. This is where, as a developer, you need to make sure you have your eye on the ball in terms of games that are coming out, games that you, you know, and features that you know those games are going to have, and features that you assume those games are going to have. You've got to think ahead, you've got to be competitive, and you can't screw around. And I mean, like those casual tycoon games years ago, you know, a lot of them took six, nine months to make. If you spend two years making one, and it's not like the end-all, be-all of Tycoon games, you're going to be screwed because the whole market's going to pass you by by the time you actually launch. So you you need to be watching and seeing what else is coming and paying attention to that and making sure that your game is going to stand out from that crowd because you have to just literally assume oversaturation is going to happen. And what I would add to that too is when you're looking at other people, other, other games and stuff, um, look at what they aren't doing. Because that's another way you can you can stand out. So uh, you know you, you go in, uh, look at a few other games that you're familiar with, and make a grid. See everything that they're doing. If there's any things that they're not doing, um, whether they're talking a certain way to their community or whatever it might be, that's another one other way that you can stand out. Petting you know, Zoo says I'm gonna make a pixel retro platformer because no one's done that. <laughs> Petting Zoo Simulator. There we go. <laughs> All right, we're, we're going to let Andrew go. And Jay, he needs his he needs a beer. I can beer. It's beer thirty, not yet, isn't it? Not yet. I'm I'm good. Well, it's, no, not beer thirty yet. It's afternoon, right? So. Um... <laughs> oh well, <laughs> it is afternoon. <laughs> However, I I I, I go by uh, my beer thirty is approximately around four thirty. So. Oh, dang it. <laughs> all right thank you guys so much for hanging out with us we really appreciate it we'll see you next week do you know who we got next week jay god no no i know you me. know i know I, you know all right hold on a second you just hold don't on. know no <laughs> um i don't have anything lined up for wednesday yet but marco betancourt is going to be with us friday okay that'll be cool what are we going to talk about you know uh running a development studio from an island off the coast of portugal Okay. In a pandemic. In a pandemic. Yeah. Nice. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Indie talks if this show is planned ahead or something. Hey, Andrew planned ahead like two weeks ahead. So <laughs> and you see yeah. how much good that did him. Because we still didn't know what we were doing when we were alive. So I know. knew what we were doing. I don't know. Just because you didn't know. 
I was there. <laughs> I knew. All right. Thank you guys so much. Uh, this will be on anchor.fm slash indie game podcast. And Pinterest. And Pinterest. <laughs> Apparently, Jay's going to start posting his cooking. I've already pictures. got one up there. I've already got one of our episodes. I was, you know, playing around with it while we were talking. Oh, I, I thought you had a right. cooking one. I'm like, all right. All right. <laughs> Baking and crafts. All right. <laughs> See you guys later. Thank you so much. I'll take care. Indeed. Be safe. Again. Bye. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.